0: Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Seth Goldman, co-founder of Honest Tea, Plant Burger, chair of the board of Beyond Meat, and most recently, co-founder and chief change agent of Eat the Change, a planet-friendly snack brand that helps people snack to the future. Eat the Change recently launched Just Iced Tea, a line of organic bottled tea to go along with the company's mushroom jerky and carrot snacks. Seth has been widely recognized for his entrepreneurial success and impact, including Washington, D.C. Business Hall of Fame, Partnership for Healthier America's CEO of the Year, Organic Trade Association's Organic Social Impact recipient, and Earthday.org's Climate Visionary of the Year. I had so much fun chatting with Seth in this episode, I've looked up to him from the very beginning of Purely for being such a pioneer as a mission-driven brand. In this episode, Seth shares the journey launching Iced Tea in 1998 as the very first organic and fair trade tea on the market, what it was like selling to Coke and then having Coke discontinue the line last year, and ultimately what propelled Seth to relaunch the brand as Just Iced Tea. We talk about the lessons learned along the way, the importance of enjoying the journey, and how what you eat every day has the biggest footprint on our climate. I can't wait to see what Seth creates with his new brand, Eat the Change. Keep listening to learn more. Seth, welcome to the podcast. It's such an honor to have you on today. And I can't believe it took all these years for us to finally just meet at Fancy Food Show this summer.
1: Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, that was definitely a highlight of that show. Really glad to have connected there.
0: Yeah, it was a total highlight for me. I have really just looked up to you from the beginning, read your book when it first came out in my early years of the business and was like, one day. So I'm so happy to finally meet you.
1: Thank you. Nice to be connected.
0: So that's, of course, you've got so much going on. So much has happened over the last so many years. But of course, we need to start with your entrepreneurial journey and hear what your original inspiration was for honesty.
1: Sure, sure. So I had always been an activist, always you know interested in getting involved in things I cared about. And my first job out of business school, well, I, before going to business school, I worked on a nonprofit. on um, In Baltimore, I worked on Capitol Hill for a senator, and then went to business school and coming out, took a job with Calvert, which does that socially and environmentally responsible investing, I guess what we would call today ESG investing. And I liked it, but it felt a few steps removed from really, you know, driving change because you're just uh, allocating capital in publicly traded companies for the most part. And so I thought, what could I create that would help really be more direct in terms of its impact? And so I was just sort of the entrepreneur. I think like a lot of your listeners, probably, you know, ready ready to do something when the idea hit me. And I'm fortunate that, uh, I was being really receptive to the idea. So I, I had given a presentation for Calvert in New York City. And after a presentation, I went for a run. And after the run, I was thirsty. And then I went to a beverage cooler, and I'm like, wait a minute. There's still nothing here for me. There's all these drinks, but they're all so sweet. They all have that same ingredient, which was high <laughs> fructose corn syrup. And nobody's really offering something that's less sweet. And that was kind of the germ of the idea that I brought that back to my business school professor, Barry Nailbuff When I had been his student, we had agreed there was something missing. And this was now a few years later, there still was nothing being done about it. And that was enough for me to say, yeah, I think I'm going to try doing something about this.
0: That's so cool. <laughs> when you had that original thought with him back in business school, was it specifically in iced tea or in beverage? No,
1: it wasn't. In fact, it was around juice and spritzer. So think about like, you know, cranberry juice and seltzer or, you know, something like that. And, or Orangina, which is, isn't around as much these days, but you know, is that a nice was, yeah. product, just a little bit sweeter. And so that was the initial idea. And then when I came back to him, and this was now in um, 1997, when I reached back out to Barry after that run, he had just come back from India and he had come up with the name Honesty. And so that for me was kind of like, a huge crystallizing moment, like that's a beautiful name. That could really lead to a lot. And of course, because of my previous work and with Calvert, I had an interest in in doing business differently. And so honesty by def, just by the name gave the license to really make sure we were doing that.
0: So as a mission-driven company, which was also, I feel like, so ahead of its time then, right? I mean, yeah. I don't recall who else was really in this space, but it feels like you were definitely <laughs> no, a pioneer. You were yeah, certainly we were, in beverage.
1: We were the first to do organic bottled tea. That was in around 2001. And then, or I guess even 1999, we brought out an organic bottled tea. And then we were the first to do fair trade tea. That was in 2002. And so, yeah, we were we were carving out early spaces commercializing them. And and like, as you know, anytime you're doing something for the first time, there's, it's risky, it's challenging, but obviously worked out.
0: Yeah, uh, for sure. So at what point in your honest tea journey, do you remember the moment when you're like, okay, I think that we're really going to make it and this is going to (laughs) be... A business so, or did it always feel like i don't uh, know i feel uneasy <laughs> it was always shaky
1: i mean it, really around 2007 so that's kind of nine years in i feel like, okay we're getting enough traction now we're growing quickly enough that there's interest but we still weren't profitable we were getting close to break even but our approach had always been to never raise too much capital so we never like we had a bunch of money like oh we got yeah. this all set so it was shaky really for the first 10 years we were kind of like ah, i think this is going to work <laughs> we never we never wavered in our belief that this was worth sure. doing but as a business gross margins initially were negative and sales were they were fast growing from zero right so if you're not selling anything and then all of a sudden you're selling a million dollars that's a lot of growth but over 10 years, you know, it just took a while to get that traction because once again, we were doing something new. So, less sweet tea, that wasn't something people were really had an appetite for. And organic, people didn't understand what it was. And fair trade, people didn't know what that meant. So, all of those things we had to build.
0: And then, what was it that eventually, after those nine, 10 years, really changed? And you start to feel like, okay, this is a sustainable yeah. business. And yeah.
1: Well, one of the big steps was getting Honest Kids up and running. So that that was our organic, it is our organic kids drink. And, and one of the reasons is it showed we were more than just about tea. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with being just about tea, but it showed the brand had legs. The idea of, um, you know, healthier, less sweet drinks was viable. And it also grew ex- extremely quickly uh, in mainstream channels like Target, um, you know, and, and that was wonderful to see. So that really helped. And in a way, it kind of helped feed the tea uh, business as well.
0: And then Coke came along. <laughs> yeah. And what was it like? I know there were several layers to that and that they had invested and, and then eventually yeah. they, they purchased you. What was it like selling your baby?
1: So, you know, I had already accepted that to really scale this idea we needed a partner who could take <laughs> it further and, and i mean not from a management perspective but from a distribution perspective so we were what we were doing well where we had distribution but there were whole parts of the country where we didn't have distribution and as i looked at the map i'm like oh my gosh there's not a lot of distributors who would work with a brand like ours and i mean i mean we were you know beyond the natural channel we love the natural sure. channel we had distribution there but beyond that it was going to be challenging so we knew we needed a partner like coca-cola to do that and of course our goal was always about democratization of these of what honesty stood for it wasn't just to make it in a niche uh, it was really to you know make it available wherever beverages are sold so and the other thing and this is a reality as entrepreneurs when you take in money from someone who is not your own family which which we had done and i'm sure you've done yeah. you you actually accept an obligation that you have to get that money back to those people Ideally, with a return on it, you know, there was never an illusion that we were going to keep honesty private forever. I mean, that's just a reality of what happens when you take yeah. in investment money. And so then we had to find well, which which is the best home, what's the best chance to scale this mission and make sure our investors get their money back with some kind of return. Then for me, it was who's the best partner? And it just turned out that at the time and and the leadership at Coca-cola at the time was really committed to expanding their business beyond just soda and expanding their customer base beyond just the you know mainstream, but to to really get into natural. And so we were we had a group of leaders there who really under who believed that honesty would become their next billion dollar brand
0: and you stayed on for. Oh, yeah, so time. Coke
1: invested in 2008, and then they bought Honest Tea in 2011, and I stayed on through the end of 2019. Um, I shifted to halftime in 2015, but I was still very much, you know, championing what we were about. And you know, I, I think the the challenges that hit Honest Tea really came about. They were precipitated by the pandemic, but you know, they're probably. Just on my, as I was wrapping up my time there, I would say they certainly weren't as focused on Honest Tea as I would have liked them to be. But there wasn't a risk it was going away. But by the time you got to the pandemic, and they hit supply chain challenges, and they hit supply chain challenges with their core core brands, you know, with Coca Cola, so they had even less focus on some of the smaller brands like Honest Tea.
0: Well, I think one of the amazing things that I've heard you say is that through that whole time consumers always worry what's going to happen when a brand sells. And, you know, as the founder, of course, that's your stress and you don't want that to change. But what I've heard you say is that Coke didn't change anything, which is such a testament to not only Coke, but to the brand that you built and really the DNA that I think was so strong that they knew they couldn't change it because you had created something that was so special. So I'd love for you to talk about and dive into really your fair trade, your sourcing, yeah. sustainability, and then we'll transfer into where that's going into sure. part two of your life now.
1: <laughs> but thank you for raising that because it really is. And and uh, so first of all, as disappointing as it was to have honesty discontinued, it's important to recognize honest kids is still thriving. It's still in McDonald's, Subway, Wendy's, Chick Fil A, all these amazing and, and Which course, is incredible retail, you know, retail stores. Yeah, and it's. And on its own, just at McDonald's with Honest Kids still being on the menu there, with the units we were selling, at least at the time I left, we were removing over a billion calories from the American diet. Wow. And Honest Kids is was, and probably still is, the first organic product millions of Americans have.
0: That um, is so, incredible. Sort of, you know, so I mean, the accessibility a- <laughs> that you've created.
1: Yeah. So that was a goal and that's still happening. So it's not a total <laughs> loss, but you're also right that- um, yeah, I think to Coke's credit, they understood Honest Tea as it was designed. Uh, literally, what we say mission in a bottle, That you can't tinker with that and still call it Honest Tea. And so, although, of course, I never would have wished the brand to be discontinued, it was better for it to be discontinued with its integrity fully intact than to have it sort of taken apart piece by piece. Oh, well, let's, you know, let's try to find a cheaper ingredient than organic or let's let's yeah. you know move away from fair trade those that that would have been both tragic and sad and those things are they are you know embedded in the brand and so what we realized when we heard the news about when I heard the news about honesty being discontinued, was that? Where
0: were you when you heard that?
1: <laughs> I know exactly where I was. I was in California. I had a, uh, I had gotten a text over the weekend from someone I knew who was still at Coke saying, you know, might you be free to talk to senior management about an important business issue or whatever? It was something like that. But I kind of could read through the lines that, like, all right, this is something about honesty because I don't, I didn't have. This was in, uh, this was in 2022, so I didn't have any business relationship. With Coke at the time, I knew, you know, they'd only be doing this if they were somehow something was going to happen to Honest Tea, and so it was May 23rd that I, you know, got on this call with them, and and they told me, and you know, I, I obviously asked, you know, well, what's going to happen to the brand? Are and I thought initially, well, maybe they're just going to discontinue it from the red trucks, but keep it in the natural channel because Honest Tea was still the best-selling tea in the natural channel. And I said, are you going to just walk away from that? And they said yes. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's a shame. And then it kind of began to sink in. That's a shame, but it's an incredible business opportunity because that shelf space that we created, which is, you know, a really viable business opportunity, is just all of a sudden going to be available. And, and, you know, who should be taking that shelf space, you know, other than the folks who built it? Yeah. And my team. And and the team we had, even in its early stage of, of Eat the Change, was that core team. So I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. I still had to get over the... Ben, so I'm like, i of like, because I I even told my wife after we saw it, I'm never going back into the beverage business. And I just, <laughs> I didn't, not because I didn't love honest tea, but it was just such a challenge, so stressful. But the more we just sat on this idea, and and the other thing that got me, probably more than anything, was that we started to hear from our supplier, our suppliers, the folks in the tea gardens who were who had and you know I had invested a lot of effort to get them to commit to organic and fair trade and then they were there you know had made these investments and all of a sudden we were, were just abandoned and they actually found out about this news about honesty from my linkedin post they wow. were told, so then I'm, i i just felt a, a tremendous responsibility to that these folks and these communities shouldn't just be left abandoned like this, but so that, that plus the market opportunity, plus my team, plus even my family, this is, so my wife and I have three sons and to the extent there's a fourth son, it would be honesty. <laughs> <laughs> and my son, some of my sons literally were crying. Like they, this just, you know, we know how much you cared about this. It's such a shame to see it go away. And, and so a lot of those things brought me back in. And and then, you know, by June, so I said, May 23rd is when we got the call. June 6th is when we as a team said, we're going to go do this. We'll Pretty share. fast turnaround. Yeah. So we decided June 6th. By September 6th, 90 days later, we had sold a bottle of Honest Tea at a restaurant. So it had super fast, you know, scramble from the go decision to being in market. And it really, of course, it's got some of the stress, but there's so much more joy associated with this because- Partially because we know what we're doing, partially because when you lose something like that and you can get it back, you have a heightened appreciation for it. But also I think our team who have just are phenomenal and we can really appreciate all the work they're doing and accomplishing without sort of, I don't know, I'm sure you could relate to this, that in an early stage, fast growing company, there's inevitably some dysfunction, challenges, challenges. And and this time around, we're all like a little like we're not doing that this time. We're just like <laughs> we're mature enough. We know enough what we're doing. If we're, if there's challenge or tension, like speak it. Don't don't sort of just swallow it and then let it build up. Like we're gonna be upfront about it. And of course, we've you know we've grown so quickly. There's been plenty of that. But it's but it's not anything that is creating. Uh, <laughs> I can't say there haven't been sleepless nights. I have, but it's just a different feeling with a lot more joy to it.
0: That's awesome. That's so great to hear. As you think about this next ride around and you have your team with you, which is obviously a huge testament to you as a leader that you've had all these people who are wanting to go in for round two, which isn't (laughs) easy. What are some of those lessons that you can share Mm. with people of the amazing things that you have done as a leader and and maybe some things that you might even want to be changing in round two?
1: So that's, that is a good point. So the, the real the, the, the macro thing is that like karma is real. and if you treat people well and do extra right by them, um, there's no downside to it. You may not get a return on it, but it's just like you can feel good about it. and and as we've seen in a lot of cases, they do feel good about it. And so the one is you've got to embrace the full employee, right? So people go through life while they're working with you. Health issues, family issues, personal issues, and we've got to be there for them for all of it. So, one of the things we've done here with Eat the Change, which is little, everyone's all like, wait, we're really doing this. Is like we have unlimited leave. We have unlit, like nobody's watching the clock on anybody. Um, and so, you know, some people are working at crazy hours. Some people are working from remote areas. Everyone understands what's accountable, their accountabilities, and if they're performing. But that's that. It, that flexibility especially in this post pandemic yeah. world matters a lot but then you know as people do go through just uh, and and we've had some here you know some health challenges and other things like let's support them every way we can because people aren't working for us 40 hours you know 9 to 5 we shouldn't just only be supporting people 9 to 5 we've got to support them whenever and however we can so that that really counts i think the other thing is having really clear goals that everyone's aligned on uh, and we started this process, we didn't do this on this tea, but having those objectives and key results, OKRs, you know, super clear and transparent and every meeting we'll check in on them and just make sure people understand what they are and how we're doing toward them is good. And then that transparency piece, um, I share every monthly financial with the team and going down what are the margins, what are the losses. I don't want anyone to be surprised when I, if they say, Hey, I've got to raise money. They know because they knew, or yeah. we've got to change a formula or we've got to discontinue a product because they know the gross margins. They've seen the sales. So when you can give people that information, you empower them to both make their own decisions, but also to feel like they are part of this. And 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 also certainly something we've always done is that ownership of the company, you know, making sure that whenever we raise money, whenever we are issuing creating new owners of the company, we're making sure our existing employees get ownership as well.
0: Yeah. Those are all such great points. I think the transparency is such an important one for people to really feel like they know what's happening, not to be blindsided and and just as much in it as you are. Same with yeah. the ownership piece of it. So I guess talking about transparency, let's get into supply chain and your sourcing and sustainability and kind of what Mm. that looks like. I watched your Mozambique video, which was like so inspiring. And it did make me think about like, God, if you hadn't moved forward and you have this huge farm, who's (laughs) going to be buying from that? Yeah,
1: it is easily the most gratifying part of this business to feel like these communities, we can play a role in helping support them. So Maybe Was just also
0: touch on like what fair yeah. trade is. I know everyone's sure. heard that term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, the definition. You.
1: Yeah. So, well, there's two pillars, right? The core first one is organic. Everything grown without chemical pesticides, chemical fertilizers, which is certainly better for the ecosystem, but also better for the workers, right? That in in tea, at least, uh, it is hand picked. Our tea leaves are hand picked, so that means the workers are in the bushes, and tea bushes grow up to about your shoulders, so you'd be breathing in whatever's sprayed on those leaves. So for us, organic is a core piece of, of what our ingredient. But then the other thing about tea that's unusual is that it's grown in some of the poorest parts of the world. And some of that has to do with the climate, which is usually, you know, certainly tropical, also high elevation, but then because it's hand-picked also, you know, uh, it makes sense that it's it's grown in poor countries because it is a uh, a labor input. And so we said, well, look, if we're buying a commodity that, and tea, by the way, is a, is a, a cheap commodity. A, a sort of coffee, tea, and sugar are some of the world's cheapest commodities. We said, well, if we're buying one of the world's cheapest commodities, we should be able to invest back into these communities every time we buy a pound of tea, and make sure that labor standards are being adhered to. So, no child labor, no prison labor, but also that a wage, a living wage, as defined by the International Labor Organization, that is being paid. But then, what what really where fair trade I'd say gets the extra plus is that a portion of the sales of every pound goes back to the community, and to a council of workers for them to decide how it's invested. And the reason that's so important is because the council is composed of the it's it rep, it's it's it reflects the community of workers. So and with tea because there's a lot of women picking tea leaves, uh, we're giving women women and others, but especially women, economic resources that gives them a say in their community. And so they get to decide how the money is invested. And so in the case of Mozambique, which is one of the poorest communities and countries in the world, they invested first in water, access to clean drinking water, safe drinking water. And then they invested in a, an ambulance to make sure that the community could have a, could have access to some kind of healthcare, uh, and then a school so that their children... Because in this province, Ambezia province in Mozambique, uh, over 40% of the kids never go to school. Not just like occasionally, just never go to school. So yeah. you you've got to start somewhere. And, and so for us, these were high impact opportunities and, and we're still, and the tea's amazing. I mean, it tastes great and all that, but we're we're really excited about this partnership. And this is the largest organic tea garden in the world. Uh, wow. But it's like I say, in such a poor part of the world that we can do this, and we're still spending, you know, pennies a bottle. We're not our, our tea is premium price, but the biggest part of our expense is actually the glass bottle. It's the um, <laughs> so I felt like, well, let's make sure we're spent. We can feel good about the tea, and that's obviously uh, underlying the name Just Ice Tea is is that that you know commitment to supporting the people involved in the supply chain, and and you know I I'll just say that it. We recognize it's there's still gross imbalances in wealth in the world, and and we're not addressing all of them, but uh, certainly we're 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 taking inordinate steps to do something to make sure this community is part of the the value chain and and gets to benefit from it more than the typical tea supplier.
0: Absolutely, it's amazing what you guys are doing. So part of your mission too. Before starting Just Tea, was creating a new company, Eat the Change. So, we would love right. to hear about the mission for that. And I love kind of your approach to biodiversity um, yeah. with that yeah. company. So, let's hear so, all about that.
1: So, after I had left Honest Tea, you know, and I was still chair of the board of Beyond Meat, but I was kind of ready to create something new. And I thought, well, since I'm not going into the beverage space again, never me- doing that, <laughs> <laughs> let me think about other. Things I care about, oh, you know. and Going back, climate change certainly is the defining issue of how we're going to live uh, as as a, as a species. And so, what can we do? And 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 then, you know, what I've seen is that our diet is our single biggest impact on the planet. You know, it's great if you can recycle. It's great if you can drive a, a electric car or, or 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 even better, a bike. But what you eat every day is um, your biggest part of your footprint. So, how do we make sure? How do we steer people towards more planet-friendly foods. And that was where the name Eat the Change came from. If you care about changing things, you have to change what you eat. And so initially we started with a snack line of mushroom jerky, and then trying trying to build on what we saw with um, honest kids. How do we we get in the lunchbox? How do we create a healthier snack food for kids? And that was a real fun kind of evolution where we thought initially, could we make a carrot chip? Could we take a, a carrot you know, you slice it and make it as a chip. We weren't getting, my my co-founder, Sp- Chef Spike Mendelson. we couldn't quite get the right crispness, the right profile. Then one of our suppliers sent us in the wrong kind of carrots. They were like the little coins. He's like, I can't make a chip of those. Um, but we have a no food waste policy at the office. So Spike tried dipping the carrots in uh, what was initially a marinade, but then eventually he uh, dipped them in, so- in fruit juice. And then when we dehydrated them, they took on this chewy flavor, and we realized that could be a really fun kid snack. And so that's called our Cosmic Carrot Chews. And th- the whole approach to Eat the Change was centered around organic everything, plant-based everything, f- minimal food waste. So let's use crops that don't use a lot of water, where there's no waste to the product. So what's neat about the carrot chews is we're using every part of the carrot, not the greens, but you know, there's no, there's no piece of the carrot too small to use. And then we also had this commitment to biodiversity. So, turns out there were six crops that are responsible for fifty-seven percent of all agricultural production, and it's soy, corn, wheat, potatoes, rice, and sugar cane. And so we said, well, we can make our recipes without those, or at least I said that. was funny is that Spike, you know, <laughs> I, I would tell Spike make the best tasting food you can, uh, like he did with the mushroom jerky. And then I said, okay, now make it without those six crops. And you said, but wait, those are in everything. And then he he realized you know and he had been a um, top chef and all those things. Okay, well it's, it's just a a, challenge. <laughs> yeah, exactly, just that challenge. Um, and and he he succeeded. And and then we were you know, I'd say busily building that snack business when we got the news about Honest Tea. And then we had to sort of go through the reflection. Well, if we were to launch a tea brand, could we do it as part of Eat the Change? And we had to reflect on, well, organic, obviously, plant based for sure. Minimal food waste or water waste. There's no um, irrigation in tea. So it's a super water efficient crop. And then we came upon that whole commitment around biodiversity. And we said, well, wait a minute. Honest tea, one of its big ingredients was organic sugar cane. Now it used a lot less than other brands, but they still used a lot of it. And we said, well, no, if we're going to have this part of the, as part of the commitment to the brand, we've got to do that. And so we used organic agave or organic honey and we were able to still develop the recipes with that in line. And so that's why we, we, you know, we put just the Eat the Change logo on the cap. We realized you couldn't call, you couldn't take an iced tea brand and call it Eat the Change. That just didn't yeah. make sense. So, <laughs> so we think now about Eat the Change. We think about this logo as kind of our, think about like that Nabisco red triangle. It's like, it's the marker that sort of unites the family of brands, but that obviously they're going to be different brands with different names under that umbrella.
0: And what's gonna come next? Anything in the pipeline?
1: All right, you're focused on full. the tea. <laughs> right now we gotta focus on the tea. We are scaling it. It's happening so quickly. So um we'll we'll certainly be keep scaling that. The carrots, we are working on um, packaging and gonna update the packaging to so make sure we communicate exactly what's there. But I think for now, let like we gotta make sure we can execute what we've got. I mean, we could innovate and spike could innovate. Every month we could bring something new out. I'm like, well, let's just make sure we we can succeed with what we've got for now, and that'll I mean, help steer us. You know, I think one of the things, one of the balances, and I'm sure you've seen this as an entrepreneur. You 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 know where you'd like to go, but the marketplace may have right. another opinion. So you've got to listen to the market and evolve as it evolves.
0: Yeah, totally. I was going to say, what are some of the lessons that you've learned this second time around? Granted, it's only been a year, but I'm sure there's a thousand lessons you've already learned and yeah. that you kind well, of thought well, like, oh, I know how to do this. And then kind <laughs> of were surprised otherwise.
1: Yeah. I, I, so it's funny because you, you could, on the one hand say, oh, well, we're, we were the honesty folks. We'll just go in and ride in and take all that shell space. Like, no, no, no. You <laughs> know, that shell space, wasn't, it wasn't left vacant. Like others have gone in. And so we have to go I don't want to say rejustify ourselves, but we have to go resell. Like it's nothing has been given to us, and and you know that's how it should be. And so we have to earn our place, every shelf space we get, and not, and even with our existing, we work with a lot of the same distributors, even a lot of the same retailers. And so I'd say, well, look, you used to give this much cooler space to Honest Tea, but you're only giving us that. And they're like, well, you know, it's a new brand, and so you got to go earn it every day. Yeah and as much as i uh, i i sort of said that i i never ex- no one's entitled to anything in the marketplace that's certainly <laughs> a lesson so just last week me and the team we got up at like 5:30 every morning we met up with all of the different reps here in the dc area the distributor reps we we covered basically all of the dc maryland marketplace Day by day and I, on one day alone, I went into over thirty different stores uh, just you know it like an amazing tough. day, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's tough it's sweaty. It, it was a full day. I mean we we were basically going from six a m to six pm in the and then uh, with a mm-hmm. storm in the middle. and it's like that's grueling, but that's what yeah. you do. There's no shortcut for that. Uh, and even you know with twenty years of experience, you still there's no better way to build a brand.
0: I'm curious to hear, you know when I talk to so many other entrepreneurs, like a big thing that gets you started is you're naive and you just dive into it because you yeah. might think if I knew I would not do it or like something yeah. would prevent me. Yeah. So now that you know, how does that play into it? For well, you? that
1: was part of why I had said, I'm never going to the vacuum. Right. The- <laughs> <laughs> but then what's happened and this has been, I mentioned that distributor we worked with. So what's been so fun because we had a not just Going up and down the street with them, but you go into the sales center and you have a sales rally and you kick it off. And in this case, a lot of these sales rallies have been like homecoming reunions. There's people who I worked with 20 years ago, oh,
0: that's so and they'll I'll,
1: I'll like even in the parking lot, I'm like is that you, Sam? Like is that you, Jimmy? And like we're like, you know, yeah, let's go do this. And so that part's been really fun to reconnect. And I think some of the stuff I used to, and as you you, you saw in the book, some of the things that used to give me angst and trauma. Were that early in the beverage business, on the early side of it, there's just so many less ethical folks out there, right? So people who take advantage of you. And because we've been at this long enough, we know to avoid those folks. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that so we'd have a distributor who would order six pallets and then not pay us. And I'm like, wait, how do you not pay us? Like, I, where do You is get a check world? for like
0: a dollar in the mail. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so we're just avoiding those folks this time around. And that that's made it Less stressful and able to help us focus on, I'd say, the the really the big issues.
0: Throughout your journey, what's been the best advice that you've received?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, so many things. Certainly, one is, uh, and this is I got from my board member Jeff Swartz, who was a president and CEO of Timberland Footwear and Apparel brand, and he said, "Build the business like you're always going to own it. Like you may not always own it, but." Build it like you'd want to always own it. You'd want your kids to own it. Never make a compromise or a quick decision for a short limit, you know, short-term opportunity. And that's certainly what we're doing here again. You know, we're thinking about we want this brand to be something, you know, people are proud of, not just my, my children, but if there's a grandchildren or whatever. Like just that this, this was a brand that stood for something that was important to people. It was important to people when it launched, but it's even more important as the world evolves and people recognize that like this climate change thing isn't going away. And it may be an inconvenient truth that our diets really impact it, but at least there's some people trying to do something about it, trying to create that awareness. So, you know, that manifests itself in all types of decisions around packaging and even product design and messaging and route to market. So that's certainly one I think the other one, and I've learned this one, I learned from one of my sales leaders who was with me at Honest Tea, and then he went with me to to Beyond Meat, is you really want to empower people. And you can't empower people unless you give them both the information and the authority to make decisions. So you can't say, oh, it's an empowered workplace. And then they don't know what's going on in the company, or they don't have the ability to make their own decisions. So you've really got to give people that. You you can't just use those words. You've actually got to make bring it to life.
0: I love that. Super powerful. What about your best advice for enjoying the journey? Yeah, and I think it's so hard in the early years that everything <laughs> is stressful, and yeah. you know it's going to be a roller coaster and be ups up and downs. But like yeah. being able to take a step out and just enjoy what you're building. Yeah, and for an entrepreneur, or anyone, how do yeah. you slow down and enjoy the
1: so, one of the things is you've got to make sure you got other outlets. Like, yeah, I think you know you I'm sure you and I could we could do this work twenty four hours a day. There's enough work to be done. Yeah. You could just do it. but it's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the business. And it's not healthy for the way you interact with people. So, for me, having my family, my wife, and and just being able to be able to go for walks or hikes or or step away is super therapeutic and gives you a different perspective. I definitely need physical activity to get workout issues. Not sometimes it's tensions, but sometimes just like I got to think about something and I got to be in a space where no one's talking to me. Uh, and I may be listening to music while I'm thinking, but like or usually it's a run or 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 biking or, or swimming, but I've got to be able to just process things away from the business. I, I get a lot done in the office, but I don't make decisions in the office. I usually make the decisions away from the office. So that's, that's really helpful. And then I'd say, you know, make sure you have fun with your team too. As part of our, our kickoff for our crew drive, we, we had a pickleball tournament and like,
0: most of the people had one too.
1: Yeah. Most of the people never played pickleball before. It was just really fun and it was competitive without being competitive. Like no one was like upset, you know, they lost or won. It was more just like, you know, having fun
0: with it. Yeah. Pickleball is so fun. (laughs) We had one group who didn't want to be competitive. And then the other group who actually were competitive, Ah, (laughs) they cared. Yeah. Curious to hear anything else that you do in your day to feel your best, to perform the best. If you have a Mm -hmm. morning routine, night routine. Yeah,
1: Yeah. morning routine is pretty regular that my wife and I will get up usually uh, and we're between five 30 and six and get the exercise in early because you never know what's going to happen the rest of the day we also always make a point of making our bed first thing in the morning because the day may be crazy but coming home to like a organized yeah. bed is like like a nice thing for me uh I'll definitely like today I went for a run but I spent probably uh, the run was about an hour I probably spent at least 30 minutes in stretching and sort of after the run like I Partially because I was sweating so much, but also because like, it's a great way to just sort of spend that time again, that time alone and, and, and just, um, stretching and breathing and, and sort of, you know, working through that. Um, the other thing that for me is a huge, uh, benefit uh, and one reason, so I'm talking to you from the same office where we built on oh, amazing!
0: Uh, and
1: it's a, it's a mile from my house and like having a short commute for me is just a key part of, so I bike to work. I bike on a, it's on a bike path, you know, I cross, across two streets, but neither of them have like lights or anything. They're just little. And so being able to do the work, I would say with that much friction is, is, is super helpful. I, I, um, every once in a while, especially now that we're doing these crew drives, I'll get stuck in traffic and I'll see all these cars on the road in the beltway in DC. I was like, oh, that's a really hard, would be really hard to do that every day the stress the the wasted time, time away from family. so I would encourage people to do what you can, you know and uh, and we certainly don't have the biggest house. we're you know we're we're like I say a mile and it's right in sort of just a few miles uh, just a mile from the DC line. but like to me that's a that's a trade-off I would take every day of being able to make sure I get to spend more time with people I love and I love being at work, but like not what I not being stuck in traffic is a big quality yeah. of life thing for me.
0: Any great productivity hacks that you do to stay organized or like a way that you, you know, are balancing so many different parts of your business?
1: You know, um, I I mean, nothing out of the ordinary, certainly, you know, just marking emails and moving through them and trying to make sure I don't have a queue by the end of the week is is good. I I would say that doing the things, even the things you may not like doing, doing them as soon as they come up rather than putting them off. Yeah, Like if I have to, you know, tell somebody, no, I'm going to just dash off an email right then rather than like putting it off.
0: That's such because- a good tip because then it lingers yeah. in your head.
1: It lingers and then are yeah. like, oh, yeah, make a bigger deal out of it. Like just do it and, and, and move it past it. it. So yeah. there are very few, if I can do something today, I'm I rarely, am I going to, you know, delay, just sort of act sooner and move on to the next thing. I think the other one, and this is just, this isn't as much productivity, but I've certainly gotten better at is just have direct conversations with people. Like sometimes if there's a conversation you're dreading having, oh, I don't want to like, just do it. Like don't, it's not just getting it over with, but like if you let something unsaid hang, it's bad for that person, it's bad for you. And you're both worrying about it more than just like say it, you know, make sure you articulate it well, but like have difficult conversations sooner.
0: Yeah, that's a great one too. So where do you think food industry is headed? Who, Where we going? I hope
1: in a better direction I mean it's been crazy. So the challenge of course is that our food system is super out of balance. there's so much emphasis on animal-based foods and the reason that doesn't make sense just to give you a, a data point um, look at livestock so so when you act when you ask about the the weight of the biomass of mammals right the, not including humans but all the other anim- all the other mammals on the planet, uh, everything from cows and pigs, of course, but squirrels, elephants, whales. What is what percent is um, livestock? It's ninety-four percent of all the mammals on the planet, and so that's just like totally out of balance. And, and what it means is all the water and land used to feed livestock is directed towards those species that really are not living in balance with the rest of the planet. So we have to shift towards a more balanced diet. And if we shift, if we do that, the that then the the biomass shifts, and the planet shifts to you know a more resilient planet. There's not as many as much land cleared to grow crops to feed these animals. You can grow crops to feed people, but it'll be a significantly less land and water and energy being used to grow those crops. So that's certainly an important piece. Um, it's not going to happen quickly or easily, uh, and I you know I recognize that this is a long journey. One of the things I saw as I did that crew drive last week and went to so many independent accounts like organic is still really only scratching the surface. It's, it's, it is in, in mainstream accounts, very low distribution, not just organic, but, but healthier food. You're starting to see, you know, convenience stores carry these things, but it's really early. And so, you know, we as purveyors of food, we need to be able to make our food delicious, accessible, price-wise, but also fun and and accessible too. So we need to get distribution into these channels. And, you know, that's something we'll certainly continue to work on. But I do think this connectedness, though, will grow. So when we talk about ETH change, we're trying to awaken in people an awareness that what they eat matters, the choices they make matter. And you're certainly seeing different pace, different penetration for different industries. But, you know, I think people who are driving these electric vehicles do feel good that there's less... Energy consumption. I think people who buy dairy milk, dairy milk, plant based milk now is 16% of the dairy category. I think, yes, they probably some of them like the taste, some of them, but some also feel like, oh, well, it's a better, you know, some like the health issues or, or, you know, maybe avoiding lactose, but they also feel like it's, there's a lot to feel good about there too. So um, we have to continue to help people on this, their own journey and to just to recognize that. It's not going to happen overnight. There's certain countries that are going to happen more quickly. I mean, I was really struck. I was in Europe earlier this summer and how much further along Europe is in connecting diet to environment. And there's governments that are trying to regulate certain you know, products there. Um, but can, every restaurant has plant-based options, much more prevalent. Uh, even like the, the McDonald's, when you order, when you go to a McDonald's kiosk in, in the Netherlands, You'll see the vegan options on the front menu. Wow. That's not happening <laughs> here yet. <laughs> but I do think these, these things will continue to evolve.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the message really is what you put at the bottom of your fork every day, three times or maybe five times a day Yeah. yeah. is the number one most important thing that you can do, being mm. conscious of that.
1: All right. Yeah. We're going
0: to move into some rapid fire Q&A. All right. Bring it. Three things that you're currently loving could be a product, oh
1: my podcast, goodness. book, yeah. whatever it is. I We just found these new gels for biking that's like a maple salt. It's all natural. That was really cool. I also, um, this is a recovery drink uh, for me, uh, especially um, in the summer, uh, Element, which is a, um, it's, so it's a dry it's element. A, you know, yeah, powder. So that's been fun. What's your
0: favorite flavor?
1: Uh, watermelon yeah. salt, I think it's called yeah um and then uh one of my sons and i plays Worldle every morning so that's where you name the country you try to you see the shape of a country and then when you guess it keeps bringing you closer and my son and i have we've cycled through all the countries uh now so we're starting to get better at finding oh, yeah
0: what do you want more of in your life um
1: you know, I, it's funny, everyone wants to say more time with family. Um, but I, I really do have that quality time with my family. So I feel so, so fortunate to do to have that and, and really enjoy that. If, if anything, it would just be more time, you know, just where I am. Um, you know, it, it goes, it, everything goes so quickly, it feels like and now our oldest son has just gotten engaged. And
0: yes. you just feel like,
1: you know, life is moving super fast. And so could slow it down a little bit. That would be nice.
0: Favorite words to live by.
1: Ooh. We have a we have a a proverb on our wall here at, at the office, uh, which says, "Those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt the people doing it." That the modesty <laughs> bottle cap quote we had to bring it back. But this feeling that you know, just because the world is the way it is, doesn't mean it has to be the way it is, and so uh, that's certainly a key piece. And then another one isn't you know you, you always hear that rule: treat someone the way you want to be treated. But for me, it's evolved to say treat someone the way they want to be treated, and that's that's subtle difference, but it's actually yeah. a really important one, and it's one I'm always working on because I don't know exactly how everyone wants to be treated. I can assume, but sort of being able to uh, have enough humility to sort of ask, and 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 I'm I keep working on that. Uh, I think I'm getting better, but there's I'm sure more to do.
0: I love that. A favorite book for growth.
1: Oh boy. You know, I, so my, I usually go, I mean, I can give you the, you know, measure what matters types of business books, but I love, there's a book, uh, well, you probably heard of it, call of The Wild by Jack London. It's, it's, you know, the underlying story is it's about a dog that basically gets to return to the wilderness. And so what I love about it is it kind of, re, he, this dog rekindles his wild instincts. And we all have these instincts. We often, A lot of what society does is repress them, (laughs) and so how do you sort of reconnect with you know your natural instincts? And and some of that means just being out in the natural world and enough close close enough to nature that they like, But sometimes it's listening to you know maybe it's a small voice in your head and letting it speak louder.
0: Yeah, maybe just reconnecting with who you are, not even your wild instincts. Yeah. 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 Favorite Honest Tea moment. Oh, ah,
1: wow. There's so many fun ones. You know, we had some really neat moments with sort of celebrity fans who, you know, just loved the product. Uh, one of the neat ones was when um, President Obama got elected and 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 the White House mass literally came to our office to pick up cases. Oh, my um, God. To provide. So that was kind of fun and unexpected. I'm like, wow, well, this is really happening. Mm. But I would say um, selling to Coke was a really important step in in in, in advancing the uh, efforts to democratize products. So as a as a business event, that was that was a really important step.
0: That's amazing. And lastly, what is your number one non negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey?
1: Oh boy, well.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, I, I, is Gary Hirschberg from Stonyfield farm. So I'm kind of boring. <laughs> like I don't drink or smoke or do drugs or anything like that. So that's not an issue. Um, But I, like for me, I won't go without some kind of exercise. I may, I may take like a recovery day, but like if I have a choice between sleeping or exercise, I'm going to exercise because I'll sleep better. So for me, it's always finding a way to do something physical. Uh, and so, Yeah, you know we have a desk, but I really try to move around a lot. I love doing like a walking meeting. If I'm talking to somebody, I'll just say we're taking this on the road, and I'll just go walk around in the neighborhood. And then um, you know I'll always come home for dinner. Like I'm not going to work through dinner. Like I need it's healthy for me to have that break. The best structured breaks I had um, during honest tea was when my I was coaching my eight year old at the time eight year old son uh, his baseball games. I was his baseball I was baseball Mm. coach for his team. And on the one hand, like I had no business, you know, where we were. So that was 2000 and it was 2005. It was right in the heart of honesty's growth. I had no business ducking out of the office every day, every Tuesday and Thursday at 3.30. On the other hand, it was like the best structured break because there was no way I would leave and spend that kind of time with him if I didn't have that excuse.
0: Yeah, that that's just, incredible that you did
1: it, that. It was a great bonding experience with him, with the, with his friends. And not that this matters, but that team, that eight year old team, was undefeated, which was oh, I'm sure a- that's
0: what <laughs> <bad. laughs>
1: that was such a fun and it helped me appreciate. Uh, I got so much out of that coaching experience because, um, and I actually knew very little about, about baseball. It helped me appreciate what it's really about is like dealing with these young person or personalities, not young, but I mean, just pers- personalities and helping to manage them and helping them understand and, and sort of calm down and and obviously I could apply that to work as well.
0: That's amazing. I guess one one last question that wasn't on my questions, but hearing how well that you really balanced your work and your family. What do you have any tips around how you did that or was that always who you were at the beginning of the business?
1: I do think it's who I was. I think it's key that my partner, my wife, was so shared that. Not just that commitment, but that expectation. Like, okay, work's important. <laughs> she would say, and I would, uh, you know, I do feel like work's important. She's like, you're not curing cancer. I said, like, well, right. you know, <laughs> well, you are helping people. <laughs> I'd like to think we're doing something really important, but she's like, yeah, but, you know, um, and so like, there's never, that I've never had to feel like family has suffered. I mean, every once in a while, there'll be a situation where like, I just can't sure. make it to something. Um, but, you know, we'll find another time to do, you know, for for because of I have something that I've committed to for work. But like, there's just not a downside to to committing to family. There just isn't. And, and you know, each of our, we have each of our sons is like amazing, but each has had different challenges, whether it's a health challenge or a learning challenge. And so the ability to really, really connect and, and invest in that person has just been so gratifying and, and um, to see what they're doing and how they're living and what, you know, there's, that's been, honesty has been great return for investors, but for me that the investment in our, in our sons is by, and in our family writ large is the, the best investment I've ever made.
0: Love that. Well, We'll close there, Seth. Thank you so much for your time. This is such a pleasure. In closing, where can everybody find you?
1: Oh, yeah. So um, I I think my most active platform these days is LinkedIn. I was on Twitter, but I, I don't know what's going on there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Eat the Change is on, is on Instagram. And, uh, so, and of course, our website, uh, eatthechange.com. Those are the, the I would say, the most visible places for us.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Seth. Great to be with you, Elizabeth. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.